Hello, I'm Aidan Gallagher. I'm Peter Reeves. Welcome to API, our integration podcast. The purpose of this podcast is to set the world to rights on various topics in the world of enterprise integration, and it scratches our collective itches as engineers who just want to uh, rant about enterprise IT over a cup of coffee. Or tea. Hello, Peter. Hello, Aidan. What are we going to talk about today? We are going to talk about CICD. CICD. So what is yeah? What is CICD? Uh, can I do the CI and you do the CD? Sure. Uh, CI is uh, continuous integration. And CD is either continuous deployment or continuous development. That's why I wanted you to answer what CD stood for, because I thought that CD stood for continuous delivery. Yeah, I think it is continuous deployment, but I've not heard of it as continuous development. I think continuous delivery encompasses both continuous development and continuous deployment. Okay. If you are continuously developing, is that what you Mm -hmm. said? Do you say developing? I thought it was delivery... Ah. And then I think you said it was deployment and... Development. No, no. I Yes. You thought it was either deployment or development. No, you thought it was either delivery or development, and I thought it was deployment. So what's good is that we've started off this podcast very well. We've described what CICD is, and now everybody knows. We're all clear. Good. <laughs> Maybe we should discuss what the actual uh, backgrounds to them are. Maybe if we say what CICD is trying to do and what it's trying to achieve, yeah. then... Um, Maybe the names aren't so important. It's more about the spirit of CICD. So I think that it's... um, They're all practices which are probably part of the... I don't want to say the new wave. The new kind of coding... I don't want to say agile either. Kind of modern code coding practices. And when I say modern coding practices, the sort that kind of got talked about in books in like the 90s, but have become very kind of hipstery... I've got a marketing slide in my head where I've got a feeling that the first time that it was kind of used was in... uh, Yeah, I feel like there were random programming paradigms in, like, the 90s that kind of covered this sort of stuff. They're they're basically kind of code and um, IT and sort of software development practices that kind of reduce or prevent key kind of core issues in software development. I would say the main one being that it kind of reduces merge hell, basically, or the, or the fact that you're continuously integrating, you're doing everything in little increments, in little dribs, and, and you don't have big bang feature sets appearing in a piece of software that kind of catches the rest of the software lifecycle out. That's how I would probably describe it. That's the idea, isn't it? If I'm developing from production um, and I don't update regularly to pull in everything that's gone into production, I'm going to be behind. Now, it might be easy to merge that later on, but actually if I'm continuously updating the source that I'm using, I know that I'm working on the latest version and that I'm going to reduce the amount of problems I'll find in production at a later date. Because your because your change sets are smaller, uh, you're minimising... You're minimising risk, stuff that could go wrong. That can be true not just for software development, but actually when you're using other software. Have you got a Mac? Have you got an Apple product? My job provide me with Apple products. I feel feel so cool when I whip out my uh, MacBook, I know, in a train station or whatever, and do a bit of typey-typey. I feel feel like a hacker. When I had a Windows, that lets you delay updating for quite a long time. Um, Mm -hmm. Then when you do update, it says, right... 10 billion downloads see you in six days um yeah i found mac tends to go go on press retry press retry no you you really are upgrading now and the purpose of that is that obviously you don't diverge too too 
manically and it reduces the amount of risk when updating. Mm -hmm. That's one thought process that goes into CICD. It isn't just an effect of the way that you're developing that program, it's how other people have to consume the things that you're producing. Yeah, maybe this is a good time to pick apart the CI and the CD. I would say that CI would be kind of small incremental changes in a pre-system integration test world probably not the best way to split it up and then cd would be the actual customer facing constant seamless small change updates to an actual production system so a post system integration test world ci is okay let's update every time that we're going to make any change at all Mm -hmm. CD is more, at what point are we going to say, right, this is our base, this is our new base, and CI is something that you can potentially roll back from at any given moment, down back to the, the last CD. I feel there's lots of bits of CI that we've skipped over, and I, can't, and I can't tell which bits are kind of academic zealotry and which bits are kind of actual core concepts of CI. I've been reading some of the CI notes from certain large... IT vendors uh, and things that they recommend and they talk a lot about automated testing and automated build. Basically what I would consider to be uh, good good version control practices and they do mean that issues are caught early and that everything is just a small change. And what's, well, what's also good is that in some of our other conversations we've talked about Agile, we've talked about um clean code and they have come from an actual basis somebody's written a book and then that's expanded from some central source which can say that is what we mean that isn't what we mean that is what we mean this isn't what i mean um Mm. whereas actually i find cicd has sort of manifested itself naturally in many different environments and sort of evolved separately in different organizations which is why if Mm -hmm. you look up cicd you get very you get many different implementations of it yeah so i was reading yesterday um about was it seven core principles of CI Um, and that's the only place I've seen the seven and then a different uh, a different person or different team different organization will talk about different principles that that mean very much more to them and really Mm -hmm. uh, they all stick to core messages but it's very nice to see that it's naturally evolved in many different ways. Now that's not so good for standardization, but it means that if one set of principles don't match what you're trying to do, there are other, yeah. there are other principles out there that you can marry to. Yeah, you, you, you can't buy like an off-the-shelf two-spec CI product. You can go and buy an off-the-shelf product that does one nice feature like, I don't know, run, run an automated test or something like that, which will help you with your CI needs and will get you closer to uh, achieving quick turnarounds, reducing risk, reducing big bang deployments and commits and merge hell. Yeah. Some of the core principles that you talk about with CI, so there's the argument of whether you have a master branch or whether you have multiple different branches. One stream which I would personally go for is that you have a single source that everything Mm -hmm. goes back to. So one single master. Build should be automated as much as possible. It allows consistency when you're 
creating environments when you're deploying applications. Just to interrupt, just to interrupt you there before you get away from the <laughs> one branch that's master. No, 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 no. I, I, I agree with you for that, and I think that a really good resource for that is um, trunkbaseddevelopment.com. I think that's a really good website for talking about why you should have one master branch that you always check into and come out of. Right. I just wanted, to, I just wanted to pop that in because I think it's a really good website. Sorry, continue. You were talking about. I've forgotten what you were talking about. Wow. I'm saying that uh, build should be automated. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. And that, as part of that build, you perform some tests, and that test might be that there's consistency in what you're doing. Um, quality gate is a good word for this. Um, so you have a quality gate that says, we should be following naming conventions, we should be practicing clean code. And then if, yeah, if, I... if they fail, if that test fails, that you have to automatically go back and fix that. You can't get any broken code into production flow. So it can't, it can't get into the build process if it fails. Yeah. Which, um, which programming methodology is that where you always fix bugs before writing new code? I think I think that's I think that's the Joel test. That's the that's the Joel test, I believe. Yeah. Well, I'm not sure. I'm not sure fixing all all your bugs before writing new code is. You disagree with Joel? How I, can you disagree with Joel? I think I might disagree with Joel, but I'm I'm worried that we'll get into a into a, a long winded um, discussion that you don't want. So let's discuss Joel a different day. <laughs> okay. All right. Fine. He's not written a book, and will he's, he's not written a book. So if he hasn't written a book, I'm not interested. <laughs> he he wrote he wrote a popular website. Uh, he wrote a website that formulated the way everyone does has done programming for the last ten years. You, you know who he is, don't you? No. He, he wrote Stack Overflow. Ah. Stack Overflow man says fixy tests before. Mister Stack Overflow. Yeah, he says fixy tests before adding new features. Oh, fix your tests. No, oh, sorry, you fix your bugs. Fix your bugs before adding new features. Yeah, that's what he says. Um, so the other thing is to build quickly. Mm -hmm. It needs to be as quick as possible to actually deploy what you're trying to deploy. If it takes three days to deploy an application, people aren't going to want to do continuous integration because the amount of time it takes to, to push into the, pi into the pipeline to, or to get into production and through the different environments will take too long. Yeah, it'll be cumbersome for people to rapidly integrate, in, um, rapidly iterate, or just quickly fix something right at the very end. Exactly, uh, and and that yeah. quick process time means that actually you can fix things quite quickly anyway. Um, so mm. if the build breaks, you can fix it. You go, ah, oh, yeah, fine. Um, I actually have a concern that this is making some development complacency. So I've seen people just throw code in, saying, oh yeah, we'll build it, and then it fails, and they go, oh yeah, oh. I've missed off a semicolon or something, and then they've mm. gone, oh, okay. Oh, yeah, I've put that variable in, oh, I've accidentally had my caps lock on. Mm. My concern has been that actually we're coming away from checking what you submit. You're just, just throwing it in and going, yeah, let's see how it goes. <laughs> I think that's one of the downsides of, of CI. It's enabled a better class of, don't say idiot. So it's like if you try and make anything idiot-proof by catching errors early, you just then then humanity will create a, a better class of idiot or whatever. That's a, that's another development quote that I've butchered. Yeah, I, I I feel like I butcher a lot of quotes and and like programming quips on this podcast. Good. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I I know the behavior that you mean, and I feel that I've seen it. And to be honest, I I wonder if there's sometimes when I've just been feeling really kind of I'm sick of this project, and I've probably done that sort of thing. I've done it myself. If I'm building, I've built. I've been doing some JS and no JS, and I've just gone, oh, do you know what? Does that work? Oh, I won't check it. I'll just run it and see what comes out. I know what I'm expecting. Does the test pass? And, I, uh, and I've been guilty of not checking before. Mm. 
A big symptom of that is uh, when there's like weird environmental things, like uh, it's very hard for developers to have their own dev environments. But that's very dependent on the product and the project that's being worked on. So that's less a problem with CI and more a problem with some unnamed products. Right, do you want to talk us through continuous delivery then? Since we've touched the bases of what forms CI and maybe what some of the issues that might come from that are. Yeah, CD, again, like CI, I don't think there's one core clear, this is what it must be. However, I feel as though nine times out of ten, it boils down to using an automated uh, deployment pipeline. Would you say that maximum CD has been achieved when a developer who pushes code into their development environment managed to get it into production without ever having to look at the code outside of their development program? For example, because of automated testing, because of um, redeploy- automated deployment into the next environment if tests pass? I think that would be extreme CI/CD. In the real world, I think there would be potentially some some gating or some maybe manual approvals that normally have to go between environments like you can't for example you can't get into you can't go directly into production can you yeah i think it's nice when it's when the entire flow all the way through is automated so you've got automated uh, unit tests and you've got automated integration or acceptance tests and then you can get automated deploy into production i think that's very nice i know that this is the real world, so quite often organisations might have uh, some kind of intermediate team uh, that need to manage that uh, production environment. So they may want to have like a manual break break switch type thing where they see uh, there's a new there's a new deployment package pending. I, I get to click the button that says go into production, and I can and that gives me the freedom to say I don't know read some release notes or review the. review the test report that says everything's passed or something like that so i'm not against those kind of implementations as well as long as all of the complex stuff is automated so that if there is a manual human check the human just has to press a button that says continue the pipeline yeah it looks good or doesn't look good yeah previously i've seen where everything had to be done manually in production and it had to be four eyes checked so you had somebody sat next to you watching you make those changes to production now Mm mm-hmm if you're a production support member, or if you are the owner yeah. of the production environment, who may, because owners of production, there's this concept that production uh, environment owners will know everything about all the products that are in production. And that isn't always going to be the case. They'll probably have a high level technical knowledge. So you can sort of see why they want to be careful when they're accepting changes into the system. Now, automation's good, but what if the automation goes wrong? Which is why it's quite hard to change production process surely it's surely it's the same automation that deployed into a uat environment and a sit environment and it's the same automation that so you're reusing the same deployment scripts you're reusing the same deployable unit so i think that if if, if a company or an organization needs to have a four eyes check that's fine it's just that four people sorry it's just that two people are staring at the staring at the page in jenkins that says approve click they're also they're also looking at the test outcomes for the previous stage of the pipeline as yeah. well. They're, they're doing it's it properly. About, they're reading the release notes. It's about okay. confidence. Both my question would be from an automated deployment because often non-production environments are not always they're very rarely equivalent to the production environment, wrongly or rightly. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So whilst an automation work, in quotes, um, in a non-production environment, in production, is that still the case? And I'm not, I'm not sure um, you can ever be that confident of the automation if they are not truly the exact same. Um, and in how many cases are non-production environments exactly the same as production? Where would, where would CD be affected by production environments and non-production environments not being identical? Maybe in terms of resources, but it depends. Are you doing some kind of automated load test? No. Sorry, in, I'm in saying that if, prod or something? if you're automating the process of deploying, then the part of that automation is the automated testing, which gives you confidence mm -hmm. that you can go into the next environment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in some examples where production is not exactly the same as the previous environment that it was, te the, the previous pre-production environment, mm -hmm. if there's even a slight divergence, how can you as a production s support member be confident to let the automation take place if it's not been done before? Okay, well in that case maybe you wouldn't be confident but in that case, you would be saying, why is there a divergence that's... Why is there a worrying divergence between pre-prod and prod? If, if, you're, if you're an ops person and you've got serious concerns about why there's such a difference, such an inconsistency between pre-prod and prod, then I suppose you've got to say something. Like, what, what would be a level of inconsistency that you couldn't deal with? Yeah. If, if, say, um, the platform that pre-prod runs on is... Uh, I don't know, five minor versions ahead or behind production, then well, why, why haven't you got them patched to the same level? Or if you want to go full CD, as in like we've gone complete CD, that the developer can check in and it goes all the way to production, why don't we go even further beyond? And why aren't we doing the whole infrastructure as code or if you're using a cloud platform or if you're using a... Um, like a totally automated infrastructure platform like, like Heroku or something like that. There's ways that you can get around that. Talking about CD and automation, when is a good time to stop automating? Because automation is obviously really good. The benefits of that, it's consistent. You get the same deployment every time. Um, you, can be, you can be quite sure that the tests are going to run exactly the same every time. You can be sure that there's no environmental impacts because you're running an automated test which happens the same every time and you change one factor at a time that's obviously good testing practices what point will automation not be good for your continuous delivery or continuous integration is, is, is this a genuine question because i can't think of a time when it wouldn't be useful um unless it's like some kind of ai singularity and the robots are about to take over so we need to stop automating the robots only time is when I can think of when there is a, a guaranteed sort of a necessary check or logic gate. Um, when you're working in some kind of financial service and you need to have some sort of manual or regulatory check is all I can think of. So some of the products that I've worked on in the last few years have, or in fact when I first joined as a grad, <laughs> this uh, embracing of um, CD rather than LTS. Mm -hmm. LTS being long-term support, CD being continuous delivery. Now, it caused a little bit of a stir at the time because there was this concept of if you move to a continuous delivery model um, with software, then you had to stay on that track until you got to the next long-term support. That's still true. Just to, just to interrupt you, we're, we're talking about, say, a, this is for if you were using a platform. So, say, a platform that you might deploy your, deploy your code onto. 
and you could I could choose to deploy my software onto a long-term support platform or onto a CI/CD like cloud platform, for example, that could change underneath me. Is that Not what you're quite. Saying? Well, that as well, but also dependent. Say I was using. Um, well, let's go back to the Mac. So I'm using my Mac. Now, say the Mac's on continuous delivery, and in order to be supported on the platform, I have to stay up to date with the latest version of that product. So I have to go from version one, to, and when they go from one to two to three to four, I'm supposed to follow. Now, the idea behind that is that I have the minimum amount of divergence between upgrades, and I'm constantly getting new features coming in. So I'm constantly benefiting from new developments and bug fixes. Because historically, yep. software has been developed and deployed sometimes annually, sometimes more than annually. So there's this idea of having smaller sprints, being able to get new features out to consumers as quick as possible. But that also works as you, as the consumer, accepting that product. So we've been talking about mm -hmm. uh, a software developer pushing software out. What about when you are the consumer of that software, pulling that software in? Because there's an impact of CICD for you as the consumer, as well as the, the person physically creating the software. That's what I wanted to, to talk about. Right, okay. My, my kind of blunt response is, why does the consumer even care? Why does the consumer even know? Because it costs money and time to upgrade. Ooh, ooh. I was, I was thinking of the example of like a cloud platform. If I deploy my software onto a cloud platform, I don't care if the cloud platform has to do jiggery-pokery under the covers, how the cloud platform itself is doing its, ma doing its management wow. or its deployment. You do care if a feature you regularly use is no longer available. I do, but I, I assume that a well-behaved cloud platform would tell me about that in advance so that I can move forward or I can, I can roll forward a new version of my code. Okay, that but there's a new version, doesn't depend there's on a new version every two weeks and the cloud owner is on holiday person who receives their notification. I'm, I'm being a bit... Um, I thought you were being extreme devil's advocate. I am, and yeah. then and, and then the person that tried to fix it was hit over, it was knocked over <laughs> by a bus. No, I'm, but I'm saying that if you had 100 users using a software, the person who owned that software, yeah. because it's a managed service, they get all the notifications, mm -hmm. but they're on holidays, so they're unable to... Just, uh, just as an example, because of it being such yeah, a quick okay. turnaround time, um, and obviously there's, mm -hmm. there's ways of fixing these, but it's obviously a real problem because... This will happen. <laughs> Changes will come in, yeah. and if you're on a continuous delivery, as the consumer of that continuous delivery software, you have to be financially and resource ready to actually take those continuously upgraded versions at a much faster pace. So I think when we discuss CICD, we can't just look at it from, okay, let's get software out as quick as possible without divergence, etc etc I think there also mm -hmm. needs to come into it the conversation of okay but how will consumers be impacted people who use our software what what happens to them when they start following these um, CICD releases of the software that we're releasing I think we've touched on lots of good stuff um, we talked about uh, CICD from the provider point of view and less so from the consumer um, I think there's a lot more we could talk about like long-term support over um, continuous delivery there's other things we could talk about, like Chaos Monkey. Um, and what would probably be a good idea is if we take this into uh, another podcast, another, another episode. Mm -hmm. I think that's a great idea. Okay. Thank you for suggesting it. Thank Aid. you. Uh, as, as our closing minutes are coming on, um, what's one of 
what would be your tech big headline from CICD as a software developer? As a software developer with my software development hat on, I would say that it gives you the ability to rapidly iterate uh, and it reduces risk if you make tiny little incremental changes and because of that you can take more risks. Um, I think from my side it would be the automation that really stands clear, being able to consistently deploy and consistently test and consistently go through those quality gates at every step, every environment through, through the system. Thank you for listening um, and yes, we'll continue this in part two of CICD. Goodbye. Goodbye.